Bible. It will be on the screen, the words, but if you prefer to have it in your hands, as it were, there are Bibles on the pillars. Go and grab one now. The page numbers will be up there. Two very familiar passages that Graham's going to read to us now. Then Tom will come and preach. Right, as Claire said, there's two passages today. Uh, The first one is from uh, John, the book of John, and that's from the first chapter, starting at verse 1 through to verse 13. And if you want to put your finger in the second reading, it's from Genesis 3, and that's verses 1 to 13. So the reading from John can be found on page 1063. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So moving to the reading, Genesis 3. This is on page 5. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were not naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Graham, for reading that. That was really helpful. And uh, we've obviously seen uh, Joseph begin his spiritual journey. Congratulations on his baptism. And today we begin our journey, our journey to the promised land, our series for the next few months. And uh, it's an Old Testament series. You can see uh, there we've got the, uh, the slide which uh, we're going to use right through this series of us on a journey there. And uh, it's an Old Testament series, but as the inclusion of John suggested, it's one seen through New Testament eyes. As a preaching team, we're actually really excited about this series. And here are some of the reasons why. First, it's a great opportunity for us to grow in confidence in reading the Old Testament, tackling the first two books in depth, Genesis and Exodus, which have so many famous characters and passages. As well as dipping into Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, and I know you can't wait for the Sermon on Leviticus. (laughs) And through all of this, we're going to be charting the journey from the creation of the world to the creation of a nation, Israel, and their journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom and possession of the promised land. And we'll see how that journey fits with the bigger story of the Bible And how it always points us to Jesus, the one through whom, as we've just heard read, all things were made. And through whom we can succeed in our journey as individuals and as a church, fulfilling our calling and growing in our faith. For we sit 
on the foundation of the patriarchs, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and the like. And the promises made to them are still being fulfilled. We are part of that story, and it's a story that can inspire us and strengthen us. So my prayer is that today, and in the Sundays to come, we grow in our love for the whole Bible, Old Testament and New, that we see how it speaks into our lives today, and that we'd be galvanised, understanding our purpose and knowing God's power in our battles as we seek to grow God's kingdom here. And in terms of today's sermon, here are the three things that I want to do. We're going to look at creation and what we learn from it. We're going to think about separation from God, the consequence of sin in our lives. And then we're going to finish by thinking about salvation. What has God done to bring us back to him? But first, let's pray and invite God into our journey today and over the months to come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for those first six books of the Bible that we'll be looking at over the months to come. And today, as we look at this famous creation story, as we think both about all that you have made and what it reveals but also about sin and its consequences. Father, would you speak hope? Would you speak salvation? Would you show us the way to be made right with you and to live the life we've always deep down wanted in friendship, adopted as your children? Amen. So let's start with creation and cast our minds back to the video which we showed at the beginning or just before the beginning of the service. The title of the video, as Claire said then, was Creation Calls, and the rest of the title actually is Are You Listening? Creation Calls, Are You Listening? Which makes, I think, a simple but such an important point, that the wonder of creation demands a response. We're not meant to ignore it or see it as the fortuitous consequence of some sort of big bang, which saw millions of years later, it's claimed, life somehow forming spontaneously without any help, evolving into all the plants and animals found on earth today, including us. Rather, we're to draw the more obvious conclusion. As Hebrews 11 verse 3 puts it, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was, invisible, what was visible. That a world and a universe that incredible as the one we live in can't only have come about by chance, but rather must have been created by design by a creator who created it for a reason. So what is the reason? Well, it's four human beings who the Genesis 1 account of creation makes clear are made in God's image and are called to be stewards of that creation. And it's also to speak to us human beings for the splendour of creation reveals God to us for it glorifies him which is the glory that God 
deserves. We didn't read Genesis 1 uh, as a reading because it would have taken too long. It's a long chapter. But the best summary of it I can find in the Bible is actually that passage that Anne started with in the prayers, in which Daniel started the nine o'clock service this morning, neither of them having known that I wanted to read out Psalm 8 as well. You can see it on the screen, so I won't read it all again. You can read it for yourselves. It's a wonderful passage. It summarises how the wonder of the moon and the stars show God's glory, and yet the amazing thing that he thinks of us, individual people, and has crowned us with glory and honour, made us as stewards. And you can see the image of the man there looking at the stars of the sky, being blown away. And the conclusion that the psalmist reaches is on the next slide. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the right response to God's creation is surely the one the psalmist there chooses, to praise him and indeed to thank him, whilst the wrong response is to fail to do that, as the Apostle Paul makes clear in his deeply challenging words in Romans chapter 1, which you can see up there on the screen. The context is Paul is making clear in his letter, which so explains so memorably the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He's explaining at the beginning of that letter that that every one of us deserves separation from God, Jew or Gentile. And he does this by saying, what may be known about God is plain to them, that is to all mankind, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen continuing now on the next slide, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Which leads me on to my second point with that reference there to our hearts being darkened. For if creation is meant to speak to us and prompt us to praise our creator and give thanks to him, well, the definition of sin, therefore, is to know God is the creator, but to live as if he is not. Because if God is God, by which I mean, if he is therefore all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, Well then, let us be clear that the only possible right response to him is to obey him, to find our direction, our peace, and our joy in him. That's what we were made and created to do, because he is God and we are not. And yet the origin and nature of sin is to say, no God, I'd rather be in charge It was then back in the Garden of Eden, and it still is now. And so at this point then, we need to enter that Adam and Eve story, which I want to say to you, by the way, doesn't have to be taken literally and doesn't exclude us from believing in things prior to the first human beings, whether dinosaurs or anything else, for which the evidence of of their existence is uh, clearly proven. 
We don't need to believe the world was made literally in seven days either. For what the creation accounts in Genesis 1 to 3 are meant to be are theology, not history. For I believe the story of Adam and Eve is not setting out to tell us historical truths or scientific truths. Rather, it's setting out to explain to us spiritual truths. In particular, that the relationship we were made to have with God was one of freedom, of peace, of joy. A life that would go on for eternity. For that was what the tree of life represented. And they were allowed to eat from that tree. But there was one condition. There was one tree from which they could not eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what did that represent? The answer? It represented moral knowledge or ethical discernment. And the thing we need to understand to make sense of this is that Adam and Eve already possessed both life and moral discernment as they came from the hand of God in that God had already told them what was right and wrong and had given them everything they needed to flourish. But by choosing to eat from that forbidden tree, they were seeking to become their own judge of what was right and wrong, to be morally independent from God. For that is the definition of sin. It's to say to God, no, I want to be in charge now. I'll make my own decisions. I'll decide what's right and wrong. And the moment we do that, the damage is done. We lose that peace, that joy, that freedom of living under God's authority. And instead we hide from him, just as Adam and Eve did in that story. In a scenario I recognise with my own children, for example, Clara. I, get a, I work out something's happened. Sin has occurred. She's broken something, her toy, something of mine or her brother. I say, Clara, where are you? And I can't hear her or find her anywhere. So I go searching and eventually I find her hiding, ashamed of what she's done. And it was the same for for me, my brother and my sister when we were growing up as well. My my brother, for example, he was not someone who applied himself to school until he was in his mid to late teens. And so year after year, whenever there was a parents' evening, he always went to bed at 7.30 instead of 10 like he normally would. Every single time, just so there was no chance that anyone would think he was still awake when my parents returned. And it's human nature, isn't it? We do something bad, we let someone down, and we hide. But the spiritual reality that the story of Adam and Eve is telling us is that when they chose to be morally independent from God, that is to make themselves the boss, not him, it changed everything. It meant relationship breakdown between God and them. And they were banished from the Garden of Eden, the paradise, which represents our banishment from God's presence in heaven because of sin, because of selfishness, because of our willful independence from God. When the thing that we were made for was the freedom of doing his will, He who knows the very best thing for us in every situation, in every aspect of our lives.
Paul's letter to the Romans went on to state this vitally important truth in chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And the consequence of that, the Bible makes crystal clear, is separation from him. It's what we all deserve. That is God's justice. And yet that's not the end of the story. For alongside his justice, we also have his mercy. And God had a plan to send a life giver, the light of the world, when the one human being who did not deserve banishment because he lived a perfect life came and died on a cross in our place, taking the punishment we deserved. It's an incredible gift to us all. But just like any gift that we're offered, we only experience the benefits of it when we choose to receive it. And it's the same with Jesus. That salvation, that offer of life, of forgiveness, of adoption as a child of God comes only to those who choose to receive it. As the John passage put it, to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a wonderful thing that is. And receiving it means putting our faith in it, in Jesus' death in our place, and means reversing the decision Adam and Eve took to seek moral independence from God, which we do by saying from now on, Jesus, I live for you. I make you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Lord of my life, the boss. You now call the shots. In other words, we remember that he is God and we are not. And there is only one logical way of living in response to that fundamental truth. It's to let him be God by obeying him and enjoying the peace, freedom, joy, safety and eternal life that that brings. So where does that leave us? It leaves us taking a decision, facing a decision, a vitally important one, to choose life for eternity in God's presence or to remain banished from him. And I'm sorry to say it also leaves us facing a deceiver, the being represented by the serpent or the snake in the story, who is Satan, the devil, who seeks to question God's authority and is active and living right now, working in every single one of our lives, trying to lie to us and persuade us to go it alone, to ignore God, which ultimately is going his, that is Satan's, way. For it's the way of falsehood, of fear, and ultimately of death. He will one day be destroyed. The Bible makes that crystal clear. But until then, he is our opponent in the spiritual battle we face. And his purpose is always to alienate us from God. Which he does first by seeking to put us off ever receiving Jesus to try and persuade us not to receive that wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And then when we've become Christians, 
by trying to persuade us not to walk in the freedom of obedience to God, despite us knowing his ways for us are the best ways, and instead to question whether God really does have our best interests at heart. That's what he did to Eve in the story, saying, wouldn't you like to have wisdom? And it's exactly what he tries to do to us as well. But it's a distorted freedom. Simply the freedom of separation from God with all the anxiety and helplessness and hopelessness that that brings. So what we've got here is a contrast between God and Satan. Truth and lies. Light and darkness. We all have the light available. First, the light of creation. For creation reveals the truth about our creator, that God is almighty and able to do anything. Choosing to make a world and a universe that is awesome in its beauty and splendor. Mind-blowing in its intricacy. And we have the light of the incarnation, which literally means God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus, who showed us the holiness of God in the way that he lived, and who showed us the love of God, a love that exceeds anything we can possibly imagine. He's desperately in love with us all. And he showed that love by being willing to die for us all in order that we, receiving that gift from the Son of God, might ourselves become children of God, bringing the possibility of being restored back into the image of God by becoming like Jesus, God himself in human form, through entering us through his Holy Spirit and changing us from the inside. That's the offer That's the greatest offer ever made in human history. What a wonderful offer it is. Restoring in us that sense of freedom and peace and joyful relationship with God, which Genesis 3 showed us was lost at the fall of mankind. Let me finish with a true story. It's about a friend of mine. She went skiing when she was 22, uh, just in her final year of university with her family out in the French Alps. She had a great few days skiing, and on about the fourth or fifth day, uh, she was going down one of the, uh, the big uh, red runs, the big slope near the top of that particular mountain. Her family had gone ahead of her, and she just felt suddenly something prompt her just to stop, take herself to the side of the piste, and just stop and look at what she could see. Now, she'd gone to church as a child sometimes, but was certainly not living in relationship with God anymore. But as she stopped, and as the stillness suddenly overcame her, and as she looked at the mountains, she could see so many of them out into the distance, glistening white with snow. And she saw the trees. And as she heard the stillness, and she heard nothing, She suddenly felt something. She felt God. And suddenly tears started running down her eyes. And she was overwhelmed with a sense of God made this. And he's real. 
So what did she realize in that wonderful moment as she was overcome with joy? She realized that the God who made all that that she could see there loved her. The God who made all that gave his son for her. The God who made all that was calling her home. And she knew at that moment she had to get on her knees and invite him back into her life. And that was what she did. And when she came back, she was a transformed woman. The first thing she did was went to church, told everyone what had happened. And we welcomed her into our Christian community, into our small group. She became part of her family And she had a joy and a purpose and a peace that had eluded her for years and years. And that's what God wants to do in us too. You don't have to go skiing to have it happen. You don't even have to be out in the countryside, but it helps. All you actually need to do is to ask God to reveal himself. To open your heart to him. Say, Father, I want to come back to you. Will you do it? What's your response to creation? Will you praise and worship him? Will you thank him? Will you choose life? And will you choose Choose the joy and peace and purpose and fulfillment of obedience to him in gratitude for all he has given you. Whatever Satan might be tempting you to do instead. In a moment we're going to sing a song calling us to respond in all these ways to the wonder of creation. I want to invite the band just to take up their positions again now. But first... I want to give us an opportunity, a little bit like that one on the picture there, a little bit like the one that my friend Helen had on that mountain top. We're going to take a moment of silence. I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I want to invite God now just to speak to us in this silence. Father, would you speak? you touch us by your spirit, Father? Would you speak into our lives right now? Thank you, Father. And now if you want to silently, just in your heart, respond to God in a small and simple prayer, restating your commitment to him or inviting him into your life for the first time, or simply inviting him to help you find out more about what faith is all about. Well, this is your opportunity to do any of those things now.
Father, thank you. Thank you that you've heard our prayers. Thank you that there is no single person in this building who you do not love. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that your creation reveals you to us. Thank you for dying for us in Jesus. Amen. And can I just say, if you have taken a step in that time of silence, any one of those steps of recommitting, inviting God in for the first time, or simply inviting him to speak to you that you might discover more about what faith means, please do let one of us know. Whether it's a friend, a family member, or a staff member here at church, or simply someone you know and trust. We want to pray for you. We want to support you. And we want to celebrate with you. Amen.